John 8, 12 through 20. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. The word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Central Weston Church. As Eric said, I'm Davis Mooney. I'm one of the pastoral interns here. And you may not have seen me around for a little bit because my wife Hannah and I just had our first child, Winston. And uh, if you'll allow me a moment just to say thank you to all of you uh, as a church, y'all have supported us in some really wonderful ways in this season. So thank you all so much. Uh, and as Eric says, said, we're in a series that focuses on some of the I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospels, which are biblical books that are eyewitness accounts of his life, death, and resurrection. And the big idea for this series is that each of the I am statements shows us how Jesus fulfills some core need of humanity. And today we're going to look at Jesus' claim that he is the light of the world. And there are tons of things that we can say about that, and I think many, many different directions uh, that we can go with that. But in the passage that we just read, there's this really interesting relationship between light and truth. And so I'd like to propose that we as humans desire the truth. We desire to be in touch with reality, and we desire to have a coherent picture of how the world works. And Jesus, the light of the world, fulfills that core desire. But before we explore this, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is good and it is truth. Uh, we thank you for the chance to feed, be fed by your word together. We pray that you would open our ears to hear and our eyes to see. We praise you and thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the exact date of it is a little bit difficult, but many scholars think that one of the first short stories that C.S. Lewis ever wrote, uh, even before he was a Christian, was called The Man Born Blind. 
And this story focuses on Robin, who is a man who was born blind, uh, but has an operation to restore his sight. So all before the operation, people are so excited for him because he will soon be able to see light. And so after he's finally able to take the bandages off his eyes and to see, he expects to see light, but he can't see it. During a conversation with his wife, he gets frustrated and he says, where is the light? You see, you won't say, nobody will say. You tell me there's light here and there's light there and this is in the light and that is in the light, but nobody will point me to the light itself. Robin is trying to see the light, but he doesn't understand that it is only by the light that he sees other things. And I think Robin's frustration with the light is a little bit like our understanding of the truth, isn't it? We want to be in touch with reality, and we want to know how the world truly works and what we're meant for. And we get frustrated when we, when we can't see the truth. But that's a huge question, right? Where's the truth? There have been many, many ways that people have proposed for us to find the truth. Uh, some of us have pointed to science. Uh, some of us look inside of ourselves. Some of us look to religion. And some of us claim that we can't know the truth, which is itself a claim at the truth. Uh, <laughs> we all want the truth, and we want to know how to find the truth. And we want the truth to shape the way that we live our lives. But where do we find it? In the passage that we just read, Jesus begins with this extraordinary claim, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It's an amazing statement. Jesus, Jesus doesn't just say that he is a light. He says that he is the light. Now, if you go back to the beginning of John chapter 7, the chapter right before this, we see that that chapter takes place during what's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And this was an eight-day-long celebration when the Jews, who were God's chosen people in the Old Testament, they would set up tents on the roofs of their houses, and they would sleep uh, in them for eight nights. And this was to commemorate the ways that in the book of Exodus, God had led his people out of slavery in Egypt, through the desert where they slept in tents, and into the promised land. And during these eight nights, every candle in the temple in Jerusalem where God was worshipped was lit. And the temple was kind of up on a hill, so when it was lit like this, you could see it for miles around. And this was to remind the people that God had set them in Jerusalem and he would have promised that he would make them a light to the nations so that his salvation may spread to the ends of the earth. And so here in chapter 8, the Feast of Booths is over, and the temple is dark again. And then Jesus stands up in the temple, and he says, I am the light of the world. He says that he came to fulfill the promise that God would spread his salvation to the ends of the earth. And that's quite a claim, isn't it? Jesus is saying, if you want to see the truth, if you want to have the light of life, then look to me. And I think that's the big idea that we see in this passage uh, we often think that the truth is a set of observable and provable facts, but knowing the truth is knowing a person. Knowing the truth is knowing a person. And we're going to see this as we look at three things. We're going to look at the search for the truth, the truth is a person, and walking in the truth. The search for the truth, the truth is a person, and walking in the truth. 
So Jesus claims to be the light of the world, and immediately the Pharisees challenge him on that. And they say, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. It's important to see here who the Pharisees are. Uh, They were a group of Jewish religious leaders who uh, were strict observers of the Jewish law. They saw all throughout the Old Testament how God had disciplined his people for not following the law that he had given them to be a light to the nations. And so the Pharisees decided to follow the law to the letter. So when Jesus stands up in the temple where the Pharisees like to hang out, and he says, I am the light of the world, they challenge him with the law. They're using Deuteronomy 19.15, which gives laws concerning witnesses, and it says, Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. They want proof that Jesus is the light of the world, and they say that he's not able to provide the proof that they need. So Jesus responds, and we're going to look more fully at Jesus' response in the second point, but essentially he says he is qualified to give true testimony on his own, but he's also able to provide the witness that they need, the Father. But even there, the, the, the Pharisees don't accept that either. In verse 19, they say, so where is your Father? If you have another witness to back up the claims that you're making to show that it's true, then show us that witness. They're looking for a physical witness. They want to see and to hear Jesus' Father so that they can judge for themselves. They're searching for the truth, but they want proof. They want a set of facts to know that Jesus' claim to be the light of the world is true. Now, many of you have heard me talk about my dad before. Uh, He was a good, godly man, and I'm extremely thankful for his guidance but he also had a really competitive streak, which unfortunately I kind of inherited from him. Uh, And I remember one time when this got him into some trouble. So one day when I was about 10, uh, my sister, Emma, who was about 15 at the time, came to my dad and asked if he would drive her and a friend to the mall. And it was a Saturday, we didn't have much going on, and so he said, yeah. So we all loaded up into the car. And when we got to the mall, my sister's friend said, Hey, Mr. Mooney, I bet I'm faster than you. And he said, Prove it. (laughs) Let's race from the car to the crosswalk. And so they bolted. And about 10 steps into the race, my 45-year-old dad tripped and hit the pavement and broke his collarbone. And (laughs) we spent the rest of the day at the doctor's office. It It was miserable. My sister's friend claimed to be faster, but my dad wasn't going to believe it until he saw proof. And the one way that she could prove that she was faster than him was to beat him in a race. He, wasn't going, he needed proof to accept that reality. Now, that's a small illustration, but we all do this, don't we? If we're going to accept something as true, we want it to be proven. We want the truth, and we think it's a set of observable, provable facts. And this is especially the case in our Western, kind of late modern or postmodern society and culture. Uh, We think the truth is a set of observable, objective facts, and the culture proposes that the world is just a cold, impersonal machine, and that science can explain how that machine works. I saw a bumper, recently, bumper sticker recently that said, uh, the great thing about science is that it's true whether or not I believe it. 
And that's a really good argument, isn't it? One plus one is two, whether or not I believe it. As a culture and a society, we think we can explain most things through science, through observable and provable facts. And we'll see that there's absolutely nothing wrong with science and with wanting to know provable facts. Jesus will show us this. But the problem is when we believe that the only way to arrive at the truth is through observable facts. Science is wonderful because it can provide us with those facts, but then it can't tell us what to do with those facts once we've found them. For instance, it can tell us all sorts of wonderful things about the human body, about how the body gets sick, and about how to heal the body. Uh, Some of you are doctors and scientists, and we are extremely thankful for that because it tells us how to heal the body. But there are all sorts of beliefs that culture holds that science can't prove like the value of human beings and the value of human rights. We all rightly believe that humans have value and that that value should be defended and that humans have rights which should be protected. But we can't get there from science, from provable and observable facts. Uh, it, It can't be proven that humans have immense value and have rights which should be protected. The pastor, uh, Tim Keller, he says, we are to hold that we are products of an impersonal universe, yet also be committed to human rights. Human rights is a wonderful thing, but we can't get there from provable, observable facts. If the universe is just a cold, impersonal uh, machine, then why should I care about my neighbor? Well, I'd like to propose that knowledge is personal. When I say that, I don't mean that like my knowledge is my knowledge and your knowledge is your knowledge. Uh, we'll unpack it a little bit more, especially in the second point. But let me say this another way. Uh, Michael Polanyi was a chemist in the early to mid-1900s, and he spent a lot of time thinking about objective knowledge. And he was one of the first scientists to, to propose that knowledge might be personal and that strict objectivity was a myth. Uh, He writes that ever since the Enlightenment, Western thinkers have tried to abandon all sentimental egoism and to see ourselves objectively in the true perspective of time and space. But he's not so sure that that's possible. Uh, He goes on to write, If we decided to examine the universe objectively in the sense of paying equal attention to equal portions of mass, this would result in a lifelong preoccupation with interstellar dust, relieved only at brief intervals by a survey of incandescent masses of hydrogen. Not in a thousand million lifetimes would the turn come to give man a second's notice. So what he's saying there is if we really wanted to see ourselves objectively where we are in time and space, we would have to decide how to start with studying the universe. And you would start with the massive building blocks of the universe and work your way down. But we would never get to things that directly affect humans. That's not how our knowledge works, is it? We study all sorts of topics and issues relevant to man, and this is a good and right thing. Science is wonderful, but we can't claim to know the truth simply through cold, hard, provable facts, because knowledge is personal. So where does that leave us? Well, the Pharisees want Jesus to prove the claims that he's making, to prove that he is the light of the world. So let's see how Jesus responds to their challenge and to their search for the truth. And we see Jesus' response in verses 14 through 19. Uh, Jesus has claimed to be the light of the world, and now he starts to invite them to see why that's true, why he is the truth. 
But notice that he doesn't start uh, with, a, with giving them a set of observable facts or proofs. He says that he is qualified to give testimony on his own because he knows where he comes from, he came from, and he knows where he's going. And this is a theme in John, this he knows where he comes from and he knows where he's going. Uh, let me read you the first five books, verses of the book. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus, the light of the world, was with God the Father in the beginning, and all things were made through him. Jesus can claim to be the light of the world and testify on his own behalf because he came from God the Father and everything in the world was made through him. He's inviting the Pharisees into the story that God is writing in the world through Jesus. He doesn't give the the Pharisees observable proof that he was with God in the beginning and and that he came from God to be born as a man on earth. It takes faith but he's standing in front of them, telling, him, telling them that he is the light of the world. Uh, Leslie Newbegin, one of the greatest theologians and missionaries of the 20th century, says, when the light shines in the, in the darkness, it cannot prove itself to be light except by shining. You can't shed light on light to prove that it's light. Light proves its own existence. And Jesus, the light of the world, came to shine his light in the darkness. But notice, too, that he doesn't completely disregard the Pharisees' argument. Uh, They demand two witnesses, and he says that he's able to give two witnesses. Jesus came from God the Father, and the Father testifies on Jesus' behalf. Jesus acknowledges their argument in verse 17 when he says, uh, In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. And he goes on to say, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So God the Father and Jesus the Son are inseparable, and their testimony perfectly agrees. Now, when I first read this, I was, I was struck by the fact that Jesus says, your law. Uh, we've seen that God gave his law to the Jews, who were his chosen people in the Old Testament, um, so that they could be a light to the nations. And Jesus came from God and was born on a Jewish man on the earth. So why doesn't he say our law or the law? Well, what he's doing there is he's highlighting the fact that the Pharisees are missing the point of the law. In Matthew 5, one of the other gospels, he's talking to a crowd of Jews and he says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Pharisees are looking for indisputable evidence through the law that Jesus can provide the proof that he needs to say that he's the light of the world. But Jesus is saying the entire law points to him. He is the one who comes and fulfills the law. Yes, he knows the law and he abides by it and follows it. And so he's able to provide the other witness that he needs, God the Father. But he's inviting them to see that the whole law points to him that God gave his law to his people knowing that one day Jesus would come and he would fulfill it. So Jesus doesn't disregard their argument. He just shows them that he came to do so much more than just uh, abide by and follow the basic requirements of the law.
And I think we see this also in verse 19. Uh, the Pharisees want to see the Father, to hear his testimony. They're, they're judging by the flesh there. They want to see him and to hear him so that they can judge for themselves. But Jesus responds and he says, If you knew me, you would know my Father also. What is he doing there? He's inviting them into a relationship. He's saying, if you want to know the Father who sent me and who I'm in perfect relationship with, then come and know me. I am the light of the world. You want to know the truth, and you think you can find the truth simply in the law, in observable and provable arguments. But Jesus says, come and know me. I am the truth. A relationship with me is a relationship with God the Father. And briefly, here's a really interesting parallel between uh, light and truth. Both, both light and truth always have a source. Uh, the theologian D.A. Carson says, light bears witness to itself, and its source is entirely supportive of that witness. So when you see light, you look for a lamp or a giant chandelier or the sun. Uh, and here Jesus says, I am the truth. The one who sent me, the Father, is supportive of that witness. He is the source of the truth that I shine into the world. The source and the truth are inseparable, just like Jesus and the Father are inseparable. So the Pharisees want the facts, but they aren't interested in the relationship. Jesus says, come and know me, and you will know the facts too. The truth isn't an observable, objective set of facts. The truth is a person, and we are called to a relationship with him. And we all intuitively know this about relationships, right? There's a big difference between knowing facts about a person and actually knowing that person. So for instance, I can tell you about my wife, Hannah. I can tell you that she has brown hair and blue eyes and that she grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. But just because you know those things about her doesn't mean you know her. But if you do know her, or if you get the chance to meet her, then you will find out all of those original facts, but you'll also find out that she's a uh, warm, outgoing, and a caring person. So you will have the original facts, you'll have even more facts about her, and you'll get to enjoy a relationship with just a wonderful human being. The, the facts aren't the relationship, but through the relationship, you learn more about the person who you're in relationship with. We saw that our culture often says that the world is an impersonal place and that the only way we can find the truth is through provable facts. Yet it somehow also places importance and value on relationships. It somehow goes from saying that the truth is a set of observable facts and then says that relationships are valuable, but it can't say how it got from one to the other. And Jesus comes and he says, I am the light of the world. You want the truth, come and know me. He doesn't discount or disregard the desire for observable facts or provable arguments about the world. But he says that you can't start with the facts and then work your way to the relationship. He says, come and have a relationship with me, walk in my light, and you will know the truth. And I think both believers and non-believers need to hear this. Uh, non-believers are called to understand that uh, we, uh, as as we saw in the first point, science and cold hard facts can't explain many of the wonderful things that we intuitively know about human beings. It can't explain why human rights and care for our neighbor are valuable in a cold and impersonal world. 
but we're called to see that the world is a personal place which is created by a personal God who wants a personal relationship with his creation. And he sent his son to make that possible. But I think Christians also are called to hear this message because so often we accept the world's framework that truth is only possible through provable arguments. And I think a lot of times we think that if we want the world to know Christ, then we have to prove irrefutably that he exists. And again, Jesus shows us that there's nothing wrong with good arguments and provable facts. He was there when God created all things. He knows the facts and he is the source of them. But Jesus is telling us here that we're not called to proclaim a set of irrefutable facts. We're called to proclaim a person. And Jesus is that person because he's the light of the world. We see truth because he came to shine his light uh, into the world. So we've seen the search for truth, and we've seen that Jesus is, is the truth. And now let's see how we're called to respond. We saw that if Jesus is the truth, then knowing the truth is a relationship And I so often forget this. I'm far too content to just let the truth be the truth, and I believe that Jesus is the truth, but I so often just leave it there. But if Jesus is the truth, then we're called to more than just head knowledge. That's what Jesus is saying in the second half of verse 12. Uh, He doesn't just say, I am the light of the world, and then just leave it there. He goes on and he says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There's some really active verbs there, both follow and walk. Uh, Another great theologian, Herman Ritterboss, says it this way, the light does not merely bring about a degree of clarification by which human beings are raised to a higher level of knowledge or conduct, but rather rescues them from the life-threatening forces of darkness. Jesus didn't come simply to give his people knowledge about the world and what's the source of truth. Jesus came to rescue his people. He came to shine as a light, to save his people from darkness, from sin, and from death. To show them the way out of the darkness, the untruth. And as he does, he calls us to follow him out of that darkness and walk in his ways. Uh, A lot of commentators or biblical scholars notice that Jesus is pointing us uh, here once again back to the book of Exodus. Uh, After God has led his people out of slavery in Egypt, he promised to guide them through the desert and into the promised land. And Exodus 13.21 describes how God led them. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they may travel by day and by night. So God, God comes to his people who are trapped in slavery and who are surrounded by false gods in Egypt, and he frees them, and he shows them how they're called to live and to walk as his people, and he asks them to follow him into the promised land that he is giving them. His people are walking in darkness, and God comes as a literal pillar of light to save, to rescue, and to deliver his people. That's exactly what Jesus is doing here. He says, I am the light of life. I can save you and I can give you life. I came to save you, to have a relationship with you, to lead you to God the Father, to make a way for you to be in relationship with him. And he calls us to respond by following him and walking in his ways. He is the light of life and we are called to walk with him and this encompasses all of our life. 
So to walk in the light, to follow Jesus, is to have a relationship with him. It's not to walk in the darkness or in the untruth. It's to want to know Jesus more, to allow his life to shape ours, and to turn from the darkness, to walk in his light and in the truth. And Jesus says that as we do this, we have the light of life. We have him. He'll walk with us, and he'll be in relationship with us, and he will guide us. Now, when he says that we will not walk in darkness, he doesn't mean that we won't walk in pain and suffering, that we won't experience what we would think of as dark and tragic things. But he promises that when we follow him, when we walk in his light, we will walk in those things with the truth, with the knowledge that he is at work in the world, that he's shining his light into the world. He came to make a way for us to have a relationship with the Father. He came to be the light of the world. So that means that the darkness is the untruth. It's separation from the Father, and it's death. When Jesus comes to shine his light in our lives, he promises that we will not walk in those things. He comes to give us life, so we're called to walk with him and to follow him, knowing that he is the truth. As we conclude, I'd like to look uh, just briefly at verse 20. It says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So what's, uh, I want to focus particularly on that last bit there, his hour had not yet come. What's the hour that John is uh, is talking about there? Well, as we continue to read in John and in the other three Gospels, we see that Jesus uh, is eventually arrested by the Pharisees and by other Jewish religious leaders, was falsely accused and convicted, and died on the cross even though he had committed no wrong. And in John 18, before Jesus is crucified, he stands before Pilate, who is the Roman governor of Israel at the time. And Pilate asks Jesus if he's the king of the Jews. Let me read verse 37 and 38 of chapter 18. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And then he hands Jesus over to be beaten and crucified. Friends, Jesus is the light of the world, and he comes to bear witness to the truth. Jesus is the light of life, but on the cross he walked into darkness and he walked into death so that we could have light and life. Jesus says that if we know him, then we know the Father. But on the cross, Jesus was unknown by the Father. He took on the punishment and death that we deserve for our sin, for our turning from the Father, and for our desire to walk in darkness. Jesus was separated by the Father and was unknown by the Father so that we don't ever have to be. Leslie Newbegin says it this way, At the heart of the gospel, there stands the cross. And the cross is the place where God allowed the truth of God to be silenced by the untruth, by the lie of the world. And in that very act, he proclaimed the truth. Knowing the truth is knowing a person. And that person was unknown and silenced on the cross for us so that we could be known by the Father and we could walk in his truth. And three days later, he was resurrected to new life and returned to the Father. And now he stands in heaven and he shines as the light for all of eternity. You want to know how the world works. You want to have the truth. Look to the gospel. 
you want to have the light of life, look to the gospel, look to the cross, and look to Christ. Friends, we can't find our way out of the darkness on our own, and we can't find the way to the truth on our own. But Jesus comes, who is the light of life, and who defeated darkness, uh, and he comes to shine in our lives. Let's walk in his light today. Let's pray.